HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. Handcrafted, expert approved, with over 20 international blind tasting awards. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Life's a Banquet. <laughs> Sorry. Keep it in. Welcome to Life's a Banquet. But we're going we're gonna to get through this. A podcast about something. It used to be about food. Now it's about Ben Affleck with me, your host, Wilson the Ball from Castaway. And me, the ocean from Castaway. <laughs> uh, what is happening to us nicole what do you sip is that coors light no it's orange la croix oh our connection is poor i was like damn this bitch is getting started early we're recording okay. at 10 a.m my coffee and my Lacroix, and then this smoothie that i was supposed to take out as soon as i woke up from the freezer so it would thaw out instantly <laughs> in my 90 degree house but i forgot so it's still frozen look <laughs> <laughs> nicole is now put put a tipping the uh, frosting whoa tipping the frosting upside down that's what i'm saying i have a brain tumor hello <laughs> Uh, I was like all worried about my mom because I'm like, oh, she's like forgetting words sometimes. And like, <laughs> I, look at me. The other day, I like Googled, I got home and I Googled who's the youngest person to ever get Alzheimer's. There's a picture of me. It was like a 10 year old. I was like, fuck, it could be me. It could be, but you're much, much older than 10. That's true. Thousands of anyway. years older. <laughs> <laughs> I'm preserved in amber. I'm that old. Um, that's a Jurassic Park joke. Yeah, Hello, she's anyway. making the jokes. I mean, that's relevant because there's a new Jurassic Park movie out. The teens know what we're talking about. I've heard it's really bad and not Aww. bad in a good way. Really? I'm still going to go see it. Maybe not in a theater. I mean, look, here's the thing. This is just my opinion. Uh, Heritage Radio does not endorse these comments. <laughs> Chris Pratt sucks. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, but I liked. I mean, I ain't had. I have no problem with the new Jurassic Park movies. I think they're they're fine. Yeah, they are fine. But like, I don't know. I'm just like not into Chris Pratt. I don't know why he's famous. It seems unfair to everyone else. Is that Chris Pratt though? Is that the right Chris? From yeah, Parks that's and Chris Rec? Pratt. Yeah, that's right. Well, he's on some new Amazon show that I simply will not watch. Um, and you know, when you go to the Amazon landing page or whatever, it just starts mm-hmm. playing a preview. And I don't know what his deal is. It's called The List. And he's some kind of like, you know, born identity seeming kind of a guy. And he has to kill a bunch of people. And he's just like, stay off my list. And I'm like, <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to. First of all, I'm getting it on your list. And second of all, I'm not going to watch your show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting on the list. And I'm tuning out of the show. Take that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. One of the Chris's, Chris Pratt. You, I don't know. I'm just not into Chris Pratt. He's like got major fucking Republican gun-toting churchy vibes that um, only go so far in my book. <laughs> yeah, when you can't back it up with really good acting, there's just no reason. Exactly. No, thank you. Anyway, how was your, um, you know, your favorite holiday, the 4th of July? Oh, I didn't do anything on the 4th. But on the 3rd, I went down to the lake got on my parents pontoon boat how was that it was fun my friend lauren came with me and my parents got wasted and we swam so around in the lake and then we went home and had hamburgers it was cute that's so fun a pontoon boat is super awesome um are there any things in the lake that tickle the bottoms of your feet and lower extremities when you swim no because where you're swimming it's like 30 feet deep Oh, wow. That is shockingly deep. There's something about a lake or a pond that's like that. Well, I guess ponds don't really go that deep. But lakes that are that deep that just like really scare me for some reason. I mean, I'll get in it still, but I have no problem jumping in the ocean. But a deep, deep lake, doesn't that scare you a little bit? (laughs) No, because I've just grown up on that lake. So I've been swimming in it my whole 300-year-long life. Yeah. Um, Also, Um, my dad refuses to let us swim without a floating device. You can wear swimmies? No, but we have to have like some sort of like I have like a cushion that I use. Oh, really? Why? Why is that? Because I want so, you to drown. So deep, yeah. And there's boats around. He's just paranoid. He's really a stickler about water safety, and as a result, I've never drowned. That's true. You are still here, preserved perfectly in amber. We started to like um, float away a little bit. Um, my friend and I, and my dad was like, "Get back to the boat," because he's he's paranoid that like. If we're too far away from the boat, a jet skier will just mow us down, which is a, it's a, possible. a risk. But we're, we don't swim in the area where you can drive fast. We swim in, like, the slow spots. So, whatever. He's paranoid. Yeah, but, but I appreciate things do it. happen. Yeah, and we're, like, drinking beer in the water, you know. Not all of our faculties are 100% sharp like yours every day. <laughs> <laughs> like mine on an average morning, like today when I called your smoothie a frosty. Um, <laughs> look at that frosty! Speaking of paranoia in the water, <laughs> there has been some sharky attackies what? in the shores off of Long Island. and uh, That's rude because I, I plan on swimming when I come there. And It is rude. I still swam. Okay. Because much like you, I have no fear for death or care of my life. Well, also, um, what's interesting, we were talking about Baltimore before we were on the air, but in this later summer months, there's 
millions of sharks that were there by the water in Massachusetts. You really shouldn't get in. <laughs> but people I know, get. it's really dangerous. I mean, that woman got, like, eaten in Maine a couple of years ago by a great white. A real-life Jaws situation. It's very upsetting and traumatizing, I'm sure, for her family. Um, yeah, and that's why but, I'm going to Lake Michigan today because there oh, are no cool. sharks there. Not that you know of, although technically a shark could swim in. I, I don't think it would make it all the way down to the shore of Gary, Indiana. You're going to Gary, Indiana? And also, here's the thing, though. Um, I don't know if sharks can survive in fresh water. Well, that's the whole story of Jaws, though, right? It's you swam up that river and ate a child. That's based on a true story. Right. In New I Jersey. guess that's true. But oh, if, yeah, I don't know. Maybe right. that water was brackish. I don't know. What is brackish? When it's salt water and... Uh, non-salt water mixed together oh that's so interesting i always thought brackish was when it had like um feces in it <laughs> no but it's interesting because <laughs> we're going to talk about brackish water later oh i can't wait until we talk about brackish water i need to be educated but so one of the people that was attacked was a lifeguard who was doing a simulation playing dead in the water <laughs> and the i guess he did such a good job that a shark bit him this shark was like yum can you imagine just like and then he punched it in the face which apparently folks if you get attacked by a shark is what you're meant to do punch it in its stupid nose i'm not gonna do that i'm just gonna be like well because i can't even punch a human in the face like it's hard for me to like even i don't even know how to properly punch you gotta practice now get yourself that's a, a shark idea. shaped punching bag okay yeah that's a good idea um, but yeah, anyway, and then somebody else was grazed by a shark, but I had my eyes peeled and I didn't see any, but I did see, um, a school or a herd, a gaggle, a, a murder. I'm not sure what they're called, um, <laughs> of porpoises. Oh, were they making that noise that they made? <laughs> that noise? <laughs> yes. An old troll <laughs> witch sound. <laughs> Get over here, kitties. That's what a porpoise says. Um, no, I didn't, I couldn't hear them. They were quite far out, but they were breaching. They were jumping in the air and it was adorable. They were tiny. They were? Yeah. I thought at first I was like, is that a swordfish? But it wasn't. It was porpoise. hundred percent pure porpoise meat. Mm. Yum. A delicacy. A fine delicacy. Well, Um, we should move on. Oh, do you have something else to say? No, I was just going to say, since you asked, I also didn't really celebrate the 4th of July, obviously. Mm. It's a heinous holiday, and there's nothing to celebrate. Well, but I think I it's kind of frustrating, though, that now that white women's rights are being taken away, now everyone's like, I don't want to celebrate the 4th this year. But I'm like, right, like, you shouldn't this year have it sucks. celebrated it <laughs> maybe ever. Of course. But I will say that uh, we did have a barbecue just so we could get together and all be together at Mary's house. And any occasion that I can eat, like, at least three cups of onion dip <laughs> and have a hot dog, uh, I'm into. So Same. we just, we celebrated each other and our friendship on a Monday off. But, but you didn't get in the pool. No, Mary's pool was not functioning yet. <sighs> it's not. So it's Another funny. brackish water. That's It's a brackish water pool. Bummer. How'd they get yeah. salt water? Oh, the pool is salt water, but it rained on it. Exactly. You Brackish. should buy them one of those pool coverings that they have in Florida, where it's basically like a greenhouse that goes over the That's pool. That's a good idea. Or I could buy them a pool boy. Either one. A hot pool boy? Sure. That sounds good to me. As long as you pay sexy... him a living wage. <laughs> I'll pay him I'll pay him double time if he gives me a foot massage. <laughs> 
Okay, gross. Um, All right. So <laughs> let's move on because I have a lot of I have a lot to get through here. But first, I want to guys update you on Ben Affleck and his fiance. <laughs> Um, there's nothing new. They were kissing on his movie set. They were holding hands on his movie set. Um, and this is new news, though. Well, it's old news. New to me news. So when Jennifer Lopez posted her, like, Happy Father's Day post to Ben Affleck, she posted a picture of him in his home office, um, like, editing a video or something. And in the background, mm. Eagle Eye fans zoomed in there's a, first of all there's a soda machine in his office like like from the gas station where you you know put the cup underneath the thing which i think really? is bizarre um well, heck but also people noticed that he had both diet coke and diet pepsi in the same soda machine which is mind-blowing what a sicko pepsi Ugh, i God. know yeah but also pepsi is for murderers it's crazy that he has i guess he just loves fountain soda i don't know People who are sure. rich are mental. But yes, they are. But I have to say very quickly, I know we have to move on. We have a lot of ground to cover today. <laughs> However, I just don't understand how you could be both a Diet Coke and a Diet Pepsi person. It's like you're definitely, those are one of those things where there is no, like you're one or the other. Not like I like them both for different reasons. Well, I would say perhaps, I mean, Ben Affleck is a man of mystery, but um, maybe like his assistant likes Diet Coke and he likes Diet Pepsi. Yeah. Then he should get a new assistant or a new himself because whoever is the Diet Pepsi lover in the house is is wrong. Well, I said he would be the Diet Pepsi. I didn't want to shame his assistant, <laughs> a hardworking, poor soul. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into our topic today. I can't wait to hear what you have to talk about. We're doing our topic today and maybe for next week, depending how long this takes, is going to be New York City. New York City? Oh, yeah. Well, it's definitely, I have, this is such a long thing. I have cut it into two parts. Um, which okay, I cool. should have known when I decided to do everyone's favorite New York food, tap water. <laughs> 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 um, I also did not realize that the history of New York City's drinking water is also possibly the fucking plot to that Broadway hit Hamilton. So forgive me, everyone, what? if you've seen Hamilton, I, of course never have and never will um agreed and if you have seen hamilton i'm assuming that you already know pretty much everything i'm going to tell you but i didn't know that so forgive me for retelling you the plot of hamilton in <laughs> the drinking water story of new york city okay so back in the really 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 olden days um new york was just a swamp marsh um and then the dutch came and they were like we want to live here please um, and they called it New Amsterdam. Super cute. Um, it. it was on the swampiest southern shore that they decided to set up New Amsterdam. And as we all know, there's not a lot of fresh water in a swamp that you can drink. Truth. Unless you're like a duck. Um, <laughs> and then in 1653, they built a defensive wall, presumably to keep out the Native Americans who used to live there. Um, and this defensive wall basically like cut them off from even more fresh water to the north. So these morons um, built shallow wells, and but the water in the wells was brackish. Brackish! We, um, and they had cisterns to collect rain, but it wasn't really enough, and they couldn't drink the water um, because it was full of particulate matter, which made it um, unsatisfying drinking experience. 
Um, also, I got all of this from the Smithsonian, who borrowed heavily from a book that I'll have to look up. But um, basically, this guy wrote a whole book about the history of drinking water in New York. And it's really interesting. I think I might read it. Um, cool. Okay. So in 1664, the Dutch, according to this Smithsonian article, were too dehydrated to defend the colony. So the English took it over. <laughs> <laughs> too dehydrated too many unsatisfying drinking experiences i mean a lot of people back then were drinking beer instead of water maybe not in england but you know that's just kind of like the vibe back then because water just potable water was hard to find all over town yeah um, and it doesn't make your troubles feel any better no like beer does um okay so then the english took over but they didn't really change anything so um <laughs> in addition to having these crappy little wells just like all around behind this tiny little defensive wall um there's tanneries all around and the runoff from the tanneries are just flowing into the wells and then oh they would God. throw dead animals right into the street um what? And they would throw their chamber pots into the street as well um goats and pigs were roaming free and shitting all over so everything was very smelly but these wells are actually like right on the streets so everything's just going into that well there oh my god some for some reason motherfuckers kept moving there i mean i would never move there if it smelled like that and i didn't have any water to drink and there's poop everywhere <laughs> um so the population grew to five thousand. at which point the english demolished the defensive wall which became wall street so like it can you imagine this entire colony was below Wall Street? And there's not that oh much. Oh, my God. There's not that much left after Wall Street, <laughs> land-wise. <laughs> it's not. And it's like the worst part of town, too. Yeah. Um, the Fidei? Why? Yeah, they're hanging out in the Fidei. Um, but then they're like, you know what? Let's move up a little bit north. Um, so they expanded north. Um, but despite that, there's 5,000 people sharing a dozen wells just literally dug into the street. Um the law prohibited tubs of dung and other nastiness. Sorry, it says do not dump tubs of dung or other nastiness into the street. You should only dump it into the river. <laughs> but nobody enforced that. So nobody really paid any attention to the tubs of dung law. Um, as a result, there's a ton of standing water filled with shit and the mosquitoes were like, Hell yes. We fucking love it here in New Amsterdam. Um, and so then in 1702, yellow fever killed 12% of the population. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> then after that, smallpox, measles, and more yellow fever, um, bringing us up to the year 1743. Um, a visiting scientist around this time named Cadwallader Colden, that's his real name, <laughs> wrote an essay where he said colonists would rather risk their own health or the destruction of the entire community than clean up after themselves so you know this guy sounds like a snob also like what are people supposed to do there's no infrastructure for them to actually clean up after themselves so like you know maybe come up with a plan catawalder instead of just exactly. yelling at everyone just um, don't point fingers yeah and you don't know what it's like man you don't live there so of course, the wealthy had access to clean water. They carted their water in from a nearby collect pond. Um, but eventually, it got so terrible that they made a law that forced the tanneries to move away from where they were um, and stop getting all their 
you know, tannery goo everywhere. So wait, just to, uh, a tannery is where they like do leather, right? Yeah, they turn animal skins into leather and there's a lot of very toxic um, chemicals. Yeah. This, and also, I'm just picturing when you're talking about throwing animals into the street, the dead animals. They're not just throwing dead animals into the street. They're throwing dead skinned animals into the street. Yeah, very scary. Um, very scary skinned carcasses with yeah. the eyes bulging out. Like that place wow. on court in Atlantic that has the goats, the whole goats, and you can see them carting them inside and they're just skinned goats. You're like, ah. Um, yeah, in like shopping carts. And yep. then they throw them into the back of an unlined truck. Mm-hmm, yes. Um... Okay, so the tanneries were forced to move. Um, unfortunately, they set up shop right around the Collect Pond, which was basically the only source of fresh water. Um, then the American Revolution happened, unfortunately, for everyone. Um, <laughs> so in 1776, British forces were occupying New York, New Amsterdam, whatever the hell it was called back then. Um, and 80% of the population was like, bye, we're leaving, um, which makes sense, I guess. But then because there were so much fewer people around, the sanitation got even worse. <laughs> How could it possibly? I know, it's mental. Um, oh, so This then, is what Hamilton's about, about sanitation? I don't know. You'll find out later why I think that. Um, but okay, so, cool. Collect Pond became, you know, where the tannery set up shop where it used to get fresh water from. It became the town dump. So people would dump their wash water, their dead dogs and cats, their poop. Um, they'd throw it all in there. <laughs> also, I know, I it's like, an H&M. We're not going to, yeah, literally, uh, we're not going to dump, we're not going to bury our dead cat. We're just going to throw it in the river, water, the pond. It's fine. Out the window, wherever. Um, so the after the war, America was like, yay, we won. Um, so they <laughs> attempted, this guy was like, we should do this plan where we put wooden like pipes underground and, you know, channel the water from wherever. Um, but they're like, we don't have enough money, so we can't do that. So then in 1790, yellow fever broke out again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And for some reason, people keep moving here and it's, City keeps growing, even though there's literally no potable water. Um, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, folks. Yes. So then, here we go, people. The New York State Assemblyman, Aaron Burr, got involved. So, in 1798, jo- Joseph, Joseph Brown, <laughs> a doctor from Westchester, sounds legit, um, <laughs> he's like we need to find a water source beyond manhattan um and literally the only way that it could possibly work is if a private company funded it um and that guy was aaron burr's brother-in-law and a shocking turn of events um so basically aaron burr's plan was to create a company to get the water and then use the cash to build a bank to rival his rival alexander hamilton's bank hamilton dun, dun. bank I guess is probably what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) First Hamilton Bank of Banks. Um, So basically, Aaron Burr is like, okay, guys, I'm going to trick. Well, he he proposed it, and then the city was like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, And then somehow Aaron Burr tricked Alexander Hamilton into actually helping it all go down. So he was like, you know what? I talked to Aaron Burr. This seems legit. You guys should totally let him do this. And so then they were like, okay, fine. 
1799, he creates the Manhattan Water Company Bank and Water Works, whose Jeez. goal is to find some fucking water. Um, <laughs> but also to create a bank so he can be very wealthy. They also came up with this like clause where that any excess money that they make from their waterworks can just go directly to the owners of the company. Super legit stuff. Yeah, that's um, totally above board. So, yeah. So then they were like, well, the Bronx River is simply too far away because that was like an option for them to get fresh water. But they're like, it's too far away for it to be profitable. So they decide to set up their shop at Collect Pond, the place with all of the dead dogs and cats. Oh, my God. Dead dog water for everybody? Mm-hmm. And this is what Hamilton's about. Yeah, I've ass- never seen it. I would assume, yeah. So then they make this steam-powered waterworks with wooden pipes that go underground. And, you know, they kind of get it working. It's pretty janky. Um, there's 21 miles of wooden pipes underground. They're all super leaky. Um, and half of the time citizens are like, this water is undrinkable or just not even there. I can't even, I turn on my faucet and nothing comes out. The only um, thing that comes out is a dead dog's paw. Exactly. <laughs> um, and a lot of times tree roots are going to pierce the pipes because they're just made out of simple wood. Same as the tree. <laughs> <laughs> a wooden pipe? I can't even... I know. These people are idiots. Uh, a wooden pipe uh, that you're going to constantly have exposed to water. Like, seems yeah. legit. No, it's a good plan. It's a good... It's too legit to quit. Um, so, yeah. Tree roots would pierce the pipes. Repairs would take weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and then in 1805... Uh, yellow fever came back <laughs> um, you again. and had killed over a thousand people. Um, around this time, the population was about 75,000 and um, 27,000 people were like, we are fucking out of here. You guys cannot figure out a water system. And I'm, my entire family died of yellow fever three times. Um, <laughs> so Despite all of this, oh, the other thing that was going on is between 1804 and 1814, New York had like about 20 fires a year, but because the water wasn't reliable, they couldn't put them out. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Like, These wooden pipes are fucking useless. These wooden pipes are on fire. <laughs> on fire. <laughs> the pipes are burning. Um, but in classic, you know, rich white guy scam style, Aaron Burr's company stuck around and because they were providing, like, the minimum amount of water to the city that they were supposed to, they, you know, nobody was trying to fix anything. Um, but, yeah, then Aaron Burr did a bunch of stuff that you guys already know about because of the movie Hamilton. Um, but then his bank, even though he was just basically a scam artist, started thriving and doing really well, despite all of his shenanigans. So that's where we're going to stop for now. It's 1814. You're still going to die of yellow fever if you move to New York City. Um, and then next week, we're going to go from 1814 to today. The 18s, the 19s, the 20s, and today, <laughs> folks. Amazing story. Um, I'm still really focused, I mean, on Dead Dog and Cat Pond. Yeah. I'm wondering if instead of making Hamilton that somebody should, Lin-Manuel Miranda should have made a musical about um, kind of like a, a pet cemetery of sorts, an ancient pet cemetery. Oh, yeah. Um, also, um, Collect Pond Now, sorry, I looked this up before, but I forgot to write it down, um, is on Leonard between Center and Lafayette. It's no longer a pond. They filled it in. 
Um, That's like where my doctor's office is. But now there's a little park <laughs> there with like a, a little fake pond that they put in to, to commemorate Collect Pond. And people still bring their do- dead dogs and cats there. Mm-hmm. And I really like when you were saying before Collect Pond, I didn't even put it together. It's like, so what an obvious name, just collecting a bunch of shit. Well, I mean, it was called that, I think, because it was collecting fresh water from like, oh. you know, like <laughs> pe- people or like these little like rivers or whatever, pond, like creeks, yeah. like empty into it um and then it's like a little pond that collects fresh water but i don't know maybe it's i like, was picturing it differently yeah collects dead dogs sorry yeah collection collecting whatever shit you don't want banana peels dog paws you're um, washing water yeah your old bath water just carry that bath water down to come on down to co- are you sick and tired <laughs> of dead dogs and cats taking up so much room in front of your house bring them down to collect pot yeah good idea <laughs> all right let's take a quick break we'll be right back hi i'm katie mosman wadler executive director of hrn hrn is dedicated to amplifying voices from all across our food system Today, I'm asking listeners to take part in our summer membership drive by helping sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, you can receive some great HRN swag, including the HRN cap, wine carrier, or a special spice set from Burlap and Barrel. By becoming a member, you'll play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member today. Thank you for your support. I'm Dylan Hoyer, host of Meet and 3 on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods at a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainably managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, based in Jalisco, where together they transform agave byproducts and wastewater into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly. My name is Brandon Boyd, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Ah, that was a break. That was the break that I didn't know that I needed. Yeah, I had a lovely time to my break as well. I'm so relaxed now. I feel like finally I can just, you know, be, oh, damn it. I just did something so annoying. I just like moved something around in my, damn, too relaxed. <laughs> I'm too relaxed. Okay. Nicole, when I was thinking about my story today, I'm like, what should I talk about? 
New York City food. I had a lot of ideas, but most of them are actually pretty boring. I thought the Reuben sandwich, snooze. I thought the black and white cookie, meh, it's okay. Maybe I'll do it next week. I had a couple of restaurants in mind. But then I decided I would talk about something that we pass by every single day living here in New York City. The street vendor. Ah, yes. The beloved street vendor. Now, I don't really think that aside from like maybe a hot dog or pretzel when I was younger that I've like eaten from a street vendor directly. I mean, of course, like I bought fruit from street vendors. I've definitely gotten like tamales and stuff from from the some of the smaller street vendors, but I've never really had like halal <laughs> cart or anything like that. Have you? Yeah, I've had street meat, halal cart. I've had pupusas. I've had tacos. Um, I've had it all. Okay. Um, I'm a yeah, real New Yorker. I, I guess I'm not a real New Yorker at all. I don't know why I haven't. Part of it is like, I don't know, just not knowing what to do with it while I'm walking. And I've never had like a nine to five where I'm like, oh, it's lunchtime. What will I do? I'll go out to like this halal cart. Usually I'm just like have somewhere to go and carrying a platter of food and like figuring out where to eat. It doesn't like factor into my plan, but they smell great. And it is definitely a huge part of what makes New York City amazing. Um, so right now there's over 10,000 people making a living by street vending and probably even more than that post pandy. 10,000. Wow. Mid pandy. Yeah. Um, so some of the earliest known street foods probably around the same time in that Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr were shooting each other to death. Um, before that, and maybe after they're enjoying sucking down oysters and clams, which were totally like, all over the place in New York City at the time. They were cheap, not like today, where it's like fucking $4 an oyster, which is ridiculous. Everything is, really is too expensive. $4 an oyster in New York? Because that's how much it is here in Indiana, where they had to literally fly it in. Yeah, it's really, really expensive. The rent is too damn high, you know what I'm saying? Dude, where is that guy right now? He's the hero that we need at this moment in time. I don't know. And the rent is too high. As I mentioned last week, the apartment across from me is renting for 17000 American dollars a month. Gross, throw up. Um, but anyway, oysters at this point were essentially free. They were one of the first things that people were selling on the street. There was 220,000 acres of oyster beds mm-hmm. in the New York Harbor. I was just thinking about this. Yeah, Alicia Kennedy has like a, a, like a newsletter that I read that I like. Yeah, yeah. Um, she great. was talking about oysters and yeah, how that we, but we basically exhausted that eventually. Yes. We, we ate all the oysters out of the sea. But at the time, it was like half the world's oyster population. Wow. Um, I know, it's pretty incredible. So uh, some of the early colonizers, uh, the European colonizers, uh, were introduced to the idea of eating oysters by the local Lenape tribe. Um, so, oh, the Native Americans would open the shells, which I thought was very interesting, um, by wrapping the entire oyster in seaweed and then throwing them to a fire. And they would just pop open like that. Oh, cool. So I, I don't know who got the idea of just eating them raw and skipping the fire, but they are delicious like that. So praise you. Um, and in the in your favorite body of water, the Guanas Canal, mm-hmm. oysters used to grow as big as the size of dinner plates. That's too big for me. It is. I had an oyster that size once in Cassis. Um, we bought it at a market. It was fucking enormous. And we just like cut it we opened it with like a jackhammer <laughs> and then uh we like cut it up and made like a stew out of it it was very good but it's like really weird to see an oyster that big yeah it's not for me not my vibe 
Um, okay, so then a gentleman named Thomas Downing, who I didn't look into this, but I will update you guys all next week. I'm assuming, hopefully, maybe Downing Street was named after him. Probably. Um, was a pioneer in the oyster business. And he was an former enslaved person who settled in New York City with his family and opened an oyster house on Broad Street in 1825. By the way, I got most of my information from a website call, called uh, Six Square Feet by Devin Gannon and Reasons to Be Cheerful dot World. Reasons to Be Cheerful dot World. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, what, so anyway, are, then, what are a few of the reasons to be cheerful? Uh, well... Uh, street vendors, I guess. <laughs> that's true. That's it. And that's Fresh all. drinking water and oysters. So anyway, Downing was selling like all these oysters from a cart. Then he opens a restaurant, which became wildly popular and sold um, all kinds of oysters, fried oysters, raw oysters, oyster stew, oysters, Rockefeller, poached turkey stuffed with oysters, which sounds very interesting. I would eat that. Yes, and he became uh, a well-respected activist and abolitionist. So props to you, Downing. Um, and then in eighteen in the 1840s, so now we're moving up about 100 years, Irish and German immigrants lived in tenements in the Lower East Side. And then in, later in the 1800s, between 1880 and 1925, 2.5 million impoverished Ashkenazi Jews immigrate to New York City. And they started selling things like uh, bagels, knish, and co like kosher dill pickles, which I think until like recent past, like 70s, 80s, um, there still was a lot of pickle carts. Do you just get pickled vegetables and stuff? Like pickles, yeah, like pickled vegetables. I think mostly like kosher dill cucumber pickles. But I think you that was like a snack that um, we don't remember really in our lifetime, but I think with like even when we were kids might have still been going on. You could just grab a pickle and take it on the go. Great. That's a great I think we need to bring that back. If vendor if street vendors were selling like delicious pickles, I'd grab a pickle and eat that on the go. It's basically calorie free. <laughs> it's filling. It's delicious. It's a pickle. That's nice. That's nice street food. What do you think? Would you grab a whole big giant pickle? I mean you can still get whole pickles at like the bodega. You can, yeah. But like you know, it's not really like part of the cultural norm. It, it would look strange if you, we have to start doing it as a society. It can't just be one person walking down the street with a pickle like Adam Sandler. <laughs> Did you see that like thing where he was, it was a picture of him eating a jar of pickles walking down the street? No, but that sounds very nice. <clears throat> I love pickles so much. This should just, I'm going to switch the topic mid topic. Let's just talk about pickles. They are crunchy and sour. Okay. So near the end of the 19th century, New York City has an uptick in food wagons called owls. And these are food wagons that sell hot food and drinks to workers after restaurants close up shop from 7.30 p.m. to 4.30 a.m. And restaurants close at 7.30 back then? I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> um, you know, I was upstate this weekend and restaurants close at like 9 up there, which is very interesting. That's just like, just like in Indiana, my old Kentucky really? home. Yeah. Where, what time does your restaurant close? Nine? We close at 10. We're wild and crazy. Oh, wow. That's wacky. Um, okay. So then there's a lunch wagon. The first lunch wagon to hit comes to New York City in 1983 from the Church Temperance Society, Nicole. Yes. Love those guys. They're, temper they're temperamental. <laughs> okay, so they're a huge hit, and the Women's Auxiliary of the Church Temperance Society opens more around the city, serving tea, coffee, milk, sandwiches, not alcohol, obviously, no. uh, for five cents each. That seems very um, affordable. 
It seems like a real bargain. In 1894, they supply 67,000 meals and make $1,100 for that entire year, which is about $20 million in today's money. Um, by 1930, food wagons are replaced by motorized versions, and then the Great Depression hits, um, and street carts become more popular. And New Yorkers who are unemployed start selling like a- like apples and potatoes. Sure, um, the most f- popular food of the day. I wonder how much money you can make selling a bushel of potatoes. Post probably almost nothing. <laughs> probably almost nothing, which only makes depression worse. Am I right? Yeah, 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 um, definitely. Well, I guess I might just, like, well, wouldn't you just buy the potatoes and then just eat them? Right, like, rather than try to resell them. I mean, I think you can probably make a little bit. But, the, okay, so in the fall of 1930, Joseph Sicker, the chairman of the International Apple Shippers Association, mm-hmm. call me, puts people to work <laughs> by selling apples for one nickel on the street. So that's exactly how much money you can make. One human nickel for what? selling apples all day long. How much do you buy the apples for like are you making a profit i just need to understand this. you just get a nickel i think that's it oh no they're selling apples for, for yeah then apples they are only five got cents a nickel. A piece. but also oh, if let's... you can get a whole sandwich at that other cart for five cents why would you buy just one single apple? one apple i know it seems really silly although that was uh, a longer time ago that was in 1894 mm. and then this like is inflation. 1930 inflation yeah. baby <laughs> Um, so apple sellers made up about four to 6,000 of unemployed New Yorkers at the time. Dang. So then there's all these stalls. We're in the 1930s. Also, I just think it's helpful to remember that during all of this, we did a, we did an episode on this, I believe, where the moving day thing in New York is happening. So every single, how often did they have to move? Every year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every year in May, they had just like everyone had to move all at the same time and take all of their belongings out of their house and desperately search for another apartment, like with their all of their belongings while they don't have enough water. And fucking crazy. The depression is going. I mean, how long did that go on for? Probably not into the 30s, but. And there's so many apples and potatoes everywhere, and there's (laughs) dead dogs in the street. What a fucking horrible place to be. Why did so many people keep coming here? I don't. terrible. Let's go there. Well, they're probably like they're family was like they wrote a letter like don't come they'd already gotten on the ship and so they'd let her just like miss them like every time (laughs) um okay so there's overcrowding and this is where our story becomes real a cabby and it leads (laughs) to police intervention sales are banned in many spots and apple cores cover the streets (laughs) (laughs) covering up the dead cats is a bunch of apple cores and potato peels. As the cheap apple supply runs out in 1931, vendors lose profits and the program stops working. So then in 1930, Mayor Firo LaGuardia, uh, the namesake of America's worst airport and America's second or worst mayor in human history, after Mayor Pete, just kidding, <laughs> uh, after Rudy Giuliani, after uh, de Blasio, had a heart, had a hard on to eradicate pushcart what he called pushcart evil yes. um, and he called it the blemish on the face of the city but they're run by temperance ladies so how can it be evil they're religious because they're what he is uh calling evil is actually poor did he so also because- ever think about just like putting some trash cans around so people could put their dead dogs and their apples in there exactly laguardia 
get a better idea. So basically, like, you know, because people who are like low income folks had been the ones who are like working as street vendors. Um, and because like, you know, some people who are like upper echelon, like don't like the way it looks and maybe they don't have to shop there because they have more money. Um, you know, they're like, oh, it's a scourge on the city and it's dirty and it causes all this problem. So he makes new laws regulating street food and vendors, um, beginning with prohibition and, uh, like really tries to limit what, what can be sold in the streets. So using federal funds, he opens the Essex street market in 1940 as a place to kind of squish all the street vendors in one place. Yeah. Get them out and of sight. Exactly. Out of sight, out of mind, like put them down in the basement. So the market originally opened with, guess how many stalls were in the original Essex Street Market? 40 million thousand. 475. That's a lot. It's a fucking shit ton. The new Essex Market, I think, has like 40 or something, not even. And it sucks. And it's real bad. Um, So it's a four building stretch in the Lower East Side. And it was meant to shape... It was shaped by the Jewish and Italian immigrants who made um, it available for people to purchase fresh stuff and fresh food. So then in the 1950s, the market evolves uh, as the demographics are shifting on the Lower East Side and a lot of Puerto Rican folks start moving in. And so there's a lot of Puerto Rican vendors in the Essex market. And it again, like shifts like with the stuff that can be that's being sold in there. Um, Super cool. It's getting super eclectic. By the 70s, New Yorkers... uh, start using like brick and mortar and convenience stores like bodegas instead of the markets. So by the like mid eighties, only 59 vendors are left in the Essex market. So I actually, that just made me think that that really delicious taco place that was in the original Essex market, did it make the move over to the new one? I don't think so. Oh, that sucks. I don't think it did. Do you know the place I'm talking about? They had really good tacos and Mm -hmm. damn it. It was one of the only places to get actually good tacos in the whole city or any good Mexican food. So the new Essex market, well, okay. So then in 1995, they give a $1.5 million renovation, which seems like really nothing. And then now they moved it across the street into this big thing with the market line food hall in the bottom. And I don't know. For me, I mean, good luck to anybody who is like doing a project in there. Bless your heart. But like, I don't know doesn't really speak to me. I'm not a big food hall guy. I hate food halls. God, yeah, it's not sweeping the nation too. It just seems like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like I'm all about a place to go shop for people to go shopping for food that has a lot of different stuff and like little inexpensive things to eat. But it just seems like so much stuff in one spot and like a thing for like people to like fetishize like food in this weird way. Like, let's go get like the drippy ice cream on Sunday and then shove our faces with like, you know, I don't know. Well, also I'm just Detroit like, I don't, style pizza. I don't really understand the point. Like, are you supposed to get two? like, I guess you and whoever you're with could all get different food. Like you're at the mall food court or whatever. And like, there's yeah. an appeal there, but the joy of eating in a restaurant is completely removed. So like, yeah. you're just in this loud, clamorous, cavernous, freezing cold, dark space. And yes, you get to eat tacos while your friend eats ramen. Thrilling. But like, (laughs) I don't get it. It does not appeal to me in any way. It's not fun to even like hang out and drink there. It's just like not, there's no benefits at all. Unless you just like don't care about your eating experience, which seems to be a lot of people's scenario. 
I completely agree. But my even the worst, worst part about the food hall thing is the rent that they charge these people. I worked on a project that opened in the market line. Um, I consulted to help them open it. And their rent for this tiny, tiny stall in the corner basement of the market line was $12,000 a month. That's insane. I just... $12,000 a month. I mean, that's the worst part. It's fucked up. Because listen to this. I Sorry to make this a New York podcast, but... um, No, it's fine. I think everyone who listens to us was in New York, but or used to. But um, so I was thinking about maybe doing um, Don Quixote, that Spanish restaurant that's in the Chelsea Hotel is my story. And they, you know, famously sold and then they reopened it, whatever. It's now owned by the Chelsea Hotel or whatever. Um, Yeah. But there's their rent's only $10,500 a month for that huge space. Really? How is that possible? Is it just like they did? They got some kind of claw. They got some kind of like deal when they bought it from the dude that was, you know, had owned it for three million years, um, and yeah. So they're like they can't, but the rent's ten thousand five hundred, and they they're not allowed to put any other restaurant in there except for the Spain the Don Quixote restaurant. So like wow. like John George was gonna buy it. Ugh. And they, he backed out because he was like, well, I want to put one of my restaurants in there. And they're like, sorry, you have to put this Don Quixote restaurant in here. Um, which have <laughs> you ever awesome. been there? I have been there. No, I went to the original one. Yeah, me too. me too. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Not sidebar. the new one. No, no, no. That's interesting. But, you know, really, this is like the new like market line and all these food halls. It's just another like rugged capitalism reach to make it seem like we're doing this thing. We're giving like young up and coming like, you know, people with a dream and some kind of food to like that they want to get out there like possible. And it's really just like completely financially raping and taking advantage of people who are like trying to like do some. I don't know. I just think that's a disgraceful amount of money to charge somebody for a tiny box. In, the, in a basement um, where like the whole thing is that they can't like really charge a lot for their product in the first place because it's part of, part of a food hall. You right, know? right. So how would you even, how could you even make $12,000 a month? I have no idea. It's <laughs> grotesque. It's really upsetting and I hate it. So that's my major issue. The people who go in there, you know, trying to sell their stuff and do something and, you know, whatever, survive, um, you know, props to them, but it's just a really predatory system. Um, so by the 1950s, Greek immigrants are the ones who are really controlling the whole street food game. Um, so basically like in the name, between the fifties and the eighties, like anywhere where we see a halal cart now was like a Euro, uh, stand and Slovakia stand, which is pretty cool. I love that stuff. Um, (laughs) that's like what, that's what I grew up eating because in Long Island, there's like so much Greek food, like right. everywhere you turn is like a Greek diner. And so like, that's probably one of my like most, I don't know, formative food memories is just eat, eating Greek food. Um, so now we have a ton of halal carts. I would say, wouldn't you agree that like halal carts probably is like the predominant street food in New York City? Mm-hmm. Agree. Okay. Yeah. Especially in the city, but also, you know, in Brooklyn too throughout throughout the five boroughs um they smell awesome they look delicious I can't speak to like um like how they taste because as I mentioned I haven't uh eaten halal cart but it's not out of not thinking it would be delicious it just has never kind of really happened although now I'm realizing I should just go and get a meal because it smells great it looks fabulous there's also one super popular by you on there is on Smith Street yeah on Smith Street by the yeah it looks awesome or whatever CVS 
it looks fabulous. So I'm going to go ahead and use this as my impetus to, um, to go have some halal cart. So many carts, um, according to an article in Eater, seem to be run by Egyptian immigrants, but the menus are not really like typical Egyptian street food. Right. Um, New York halal usually has, for anyone who's not been here, or for me, usually consists of some combination of rice, greens, and halal meat, um, usually in a foil dish or in like a styrofoam dish. And the white and there's sauce. Always, and there's always white and red sauce. So white sauce is like kind of yogurty or tahini-y. Mm-hmm. Garlic sauce and red sauce is kind of like a harissa probably, I'm assuming. I think it's just like hot sauce and like okay. maybe like two. I don't know. I mean, who knows? It's white. It's delicious. I would definitely recommend getting both white and red sauce. Of course. You always have to get every available sauce. That's just a <laughs> life rule. That is true. Um, okay. So this is the really messed up part that I wasn't aware of until I did a bunch of research. So in a city of 8.8 million people, Guess how many permits that are available for mobile food vendors? Oh, no. 42. No, 5,100. And there's 10,000. Um, <laughs> but the, if you think about how big, like, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Staten Island, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. a big, it's the Bronx, like, it's a huge amount of area and tons and tons of people. So that sounds like a lot, but it like really isn't a lot at all. Well, if there's 10,000 mobile- carts, we need double that amount of permits. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's 10,000 people making their living. So what happens oh. is that there is a lot of um, illegal uh, chart, like people basically rent out their permits to people between twenty and $30,000 a year. Like the taxi cab medallion? Exactly. And the, uh, but the city only charges $200 every two years for the permit. What the fuck? Right. But they only give out 5,100. So the waiting lists are in the thousands and the city hasn't accepted any new applicants for years. And so only veterans and their surviving spouses can get a new street vendor permit. My God. Um, there's an, it's an arbitrary cap. There's no reason why it should be like that. And you know what I mean? Like what's the worst that can happen? There's going to just be like vendors, like absolutely everywhere. I mean, maybe they want to put some cap on it, but that, that seems like a really low cap given like, again, like we're talking about the fact that Queens essentially reaches out to like half of Nassau County and Long Island. Like it's huge. You know what I mean? Like Brooklyn is huge. Brooklyn is huge. And these areas where like, for instance, if you go to Long Island City where the car, where the courts are and stuff like that, or if you go to Corona Queens or you go to Jamaica Queens or you're up in like, or you're in Union Square or whatever, like yeah. high, or Wall Street, like high traffic areas, like, you know, you there's a lot of carts and there should be, there's people, like a lot of people there who want, but yet there's no like limit of how many people can have brick and mortar. And obviously there's a reason for that. And it's again, folks called capitalism and the predatory real estate market in New York City. Um, and obviously the real estate market is, goes hand in hand with whoever is, you know, the mayor at the time. And that person puts the police to work, basically pulling illegal vendors off the street. It's all a big fucking just gross food chain. Mayor Adams, I feel like will definitely like have an eye for the people of the, of the the street vendors. So I think he'll probably raise that cash, you know, like a revolutionary, like people forward move. Cause he's like, he's like anti-cop and like really 
you know, and also anti, you know, street illegal bikes. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, he's like such a good guy. I'm so, so, so glad that a he's the, the mayor. Yeah. A true man of the people and no interest in real estate investments or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, he's super ACAB and that's why we love him. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the cap of around 6,000 permits overall, because they also allow 800 general vending permits, mm-hmm. um, there's an estimated 20,000 street vendors across New York City. So There's 20,000? Yeah, because Jesus. a lot of them are illegal. Well, So there's tons of illegal the vast street vending. The of them are illegal. Right. Um, it's technically a $1,000 fine for unpermitted vending, but last June the city uh, removed the NYPD enforcement from street vending. This was, in, this was written in 2020. So during the pandemic, like they did a little bit of like, they said they were at least doing hands off and people could do more like just basically illegal street vending because there was a lot of people out of work and especially in like low income neighborhoods and stuff like that. Like people were and basically the restaurants just were closed too. So. Right. Restaurants yeah. were closed and they were forcing eviction. So they were much more lax with it. However, um, the fucking goon squad, AKA the NYPD was still roughing people up and throwing them in jail, even though this is what they're saying that they're not finding people and they weren't arresting people. They definitely were. There was a woman who was brutally arrested selling churros on the subway oh my God. and handcuffed and thrown in fucking Rikers Island. Um, yeah, you, uh, this is where our tax dollars are going to work. It's pretty cool. Um, so anyway, uh, the city, oh, anyway, uh, the 5,100 mobile food vendor permit or 5,400 hasn't, uh, changed since 1983. That's, it's been well, exactly the same. The population of New York hasn't changed since 1983 though. You know? Yeah. Like, is that true? Are you being facetious? I'm being facetious. Yeah. That was still like when we we're in the, like the white flight era, I'm pretty sure I know. everyone had it, like, it's definitely true. it was definitely much smaller. Back then. It was definitely much smaller. It's crazy. So, oh, right. Here's my next sentence. The city's population has grown nearly 2 million since then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In, in January of last year, city, uh, 2021, city council passes intro 1116, which puts in place a plan to add 400 more mobile food vendor permits every year for the next 10 years, starting in 2022. Okay. So that's positive. Um, The law was the result of years of advocacy led by the Street Vendors Project, an immigrant rights group. The vast majority of street vendors are immigrants, including many who have been street vendors for decades. So uh, that is amazing activism work, and uh, it's nice to see things actually changing and getting done. Yeah, it only took Um, them 20 yeah, it only took them like 200 years, literally. Despite the new law, the NYPD has still gotten involved in cracking down on the street vendors. In uh, May, the developer God. of the Hudson Yards, calling you out, whoever you are, you fucker, I should have gotten his name. In May, the developer of the Hudson Yards calls the police to kick out vendors from open areas within the grandiose mega development. Great. Yeah, cool, 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 tight, tight, tight. In late June, NYPD officers swept through the bustling section of Fordham Road in the Bronx to eject unlicensed street vendors. On Fordham More Road? Than, There's on so Fordham many Road. there. Yep, more than a year after Mayor de Blasio uh, removed, uh, said that he had removed NYPD from street vending enforcement, defending the action to the radio program call-in show on NPR, de Blasio said... The mom and pop stores that build themselves up over years really suffer if those rules are not followed. That's not true at all. 
It's not true at all. It's completely different businesses. And again, this is like the real estate development influencing politics then being enforced by the fucking um, NYPD. It's almost as if no mayor does have the people in mind when they're doing their mayoring. Tis almost like that, Nicole. Tis almost like, except for, as you mentioned, Eric Adams, who's a real godsend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) Then we have this fucking asshole who almost became mayor, (laughs) who just couldn't help himself from saying literally the dumbest things ever. And when I think back about Andrew Yang, I just sit and laugh. And at some point, I think we need to read every single thing that this person, every tweet that he's read written in succession because like they're just one is like just more dumb and out of touch than the next and he always starts like this you know what I hear over and over again and it's like (laughs) no you never no one ever said this no one ever talks to you Andrew Yang (laughs) (laughs) you no one would ever tell you anything Andrew (laughs) Yang says in the bid for his mayoral candidacy uh, you know what I hear over and over again? That NYC is not enforcing the rules against unlicensed street vendors. <laughs> like, it's a great place to live, but... But the street vendors... street vendors are out of control. I just don't... I'm beside myself. Um, so, yeah, he obviously got a lot of pushback against that. It's extremely classist. It's racist. It's ridiculous. It's just not he just like every time that he had an opportunity to punch down at like disenfranchised people and like real New Yorkers he just like took it that upon himself it was so strange I was like this is like is anybody like reading these before you send them out it's really weird dumb dumb although this is interesting I think I'm wondering because I've been seeing this video go around of Pete Buttigieg like saying like well, you know, abortion laws we shouldn't have to do with one, you know, conception, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, God, he is going to run for president again. <laughs> yes, he is. He 100% is going to run for president. But you know what? <clears throat> who else is running for president? Bernie motherfucking Sanders. So but take that. A ghost president. 750 years old. Yeah, he is like the oldest man on earth. That's okay. I can make an exception in this one case. He's still sharp as a tack. I guess. Um... I mean, I'd prefer to have him to Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, he's from Indiana, so I simply must support him. <laughs> yeah. No, he's one of I'm just kidding. I do not support him at all. America. Um, so, yeah, no Yang, no Buttigieg. What about a yang Judge duo? Oh. Yeah, but, I mean, ugh, I'd rather, ugh. I don't know. I don't know. I have to, I can't. <laughs> I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I'd rather eat a, a dead dog and cat sandwich. I mean, I guess it would just be the same as what we have now, really. Yes, it would be literally exactly the same. Um, So that's my story of street vending. And I think we should definitely, I mean, we're definitely going to do another New York episode next week. I think I have my topic all picked out. Can't wait to hear the end of drinking water. Drinking water part duh? Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thrilling ride. So fabulous. Oh, my do not disturb just went off because I got an email in case anybody heard that. I'm so sorry. How embarrassing. I didn't hear it. You didn't? Well, me, the listener, didn't hear it either. Listener, did you hear me just get an email? Sorry, it's okay if you don't get an email. You don't have to pretend like you're getting emails. <laughs> um, what are your top three, should we say our top three favorite things about New York City? <laughs> okay. Um, proximity to the ocean, although it is mm-hmm. now filled with sharks. That's true. Um, that I can drink natural wine at literally any restaurant in the entire city, including probably a halal cart. 
because <clears throat> natural wine is <laughs> really taken over there. I do miss it, though, even though it's fun to make fun of. Um, and, yeah, just the, you know, the restaurants there. Obviously, I miss those very much. And, obviously, they're not ethical or whatever. But, you know, I still miss the vibe. Ethics, schmethics, that's what I say. My top three favorite things are Bill de Blasio, Andrew Yang, and Eric Adams. Just kidding. Mm -hmm. They're great. My three favorite things. What about Giuliani? Oh, love his hairdo. Where did you (laughs) get that color of paint? Um, My three favorite things are Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, and Alex Rodriguez. Um, My three favorite things about New York are the 86 Mets, the (laughs) Metropolitan... I love the 86 Mets. The Metropolitan Museum of Art, of course. Anything else with Met. And the Metro. Uh, and the Metro card. No. Um, and uh, <laughs> The Metro is still there, right? Yep. The Metro is still there. Thank God. Uh, those are just three of the things I like, but I'll come up with another three next week. Great. Well, we have to get off here because I have to go to the beach, which is two hours away. Okay. Let's leave. Nicole, have a good time. Don't forget your swimmies. Folks. We hope you enjoyed. We'll see you next week for part two. Hasta la pasta. Bye. Life's a Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.